And I want to invite you tonight to turn with me in the Scriptures to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. And uh, this is a great passage of Scripture that contains so many rich truths. And we're going to look at just uh, one of those many truths contained here in the first part of this chapter as we begin a a, a message here. We'll, we'll go as far with it as we can. And it's concerning uh, giving God glory in our ministry. And the Bible reveals something here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse number 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Let's pray. Lord, help us tonight to not only hear the word, but do the word. And God, I pray that we might somehow be drawn closer to the center of your will for our lives. Lord, we're living in difficult days and over the past years, we consider all that has transpired. We have seen a falling away. We've seen many that have been adrift, not just because of social distancing and coronavirus, but Lord, they've been adrift spiritually from Thee. And uh, grabbing a little a tidbit off the internet here and there, God, I pray that You would help us to understand that You did not call us just simply to exist, but you said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And God, that you have called us not to live our lives for ourselves, but unto thee and for others. And I got, God, I pray that that might be the case. Use me tonight to communicate this truth in the power of thy Holy Spirit. For this we pray in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. The Bible reveals in this passage, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. And what it is revealing to us is the fact that when we receive the mercy of the Lord at salvation, at that very moment in time, we received the ministry. In fact, as we study the Scriptures, we know that in the great passages that deal with the gifts that God given, has given for ministry there uh, in Romans chapter number 12, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and in Ephesians chapter number 4, where we find those great passages of Scripture that deal with the subject of spiritual gifts that God has given to the body of Christ, we recognize that those gifts are to enable and to equip us for the ministry of the saints. That's what God has done for us. And at the very moment that you got saved, God placed you in the ministry. Now, you say, well, I, I don't have a Bible college education. Well, neither did the apostles, although they did sit at the feet of Jesus for a good long while. Uh, they didn't have a sheepskin to hang on the wall. Uh, they didn't have the pedigree uh, that many would have had. People like uh, Levi, who we know as Matthew, was a publican who was perhaps uh, in society the most uh, disrespected and looked down upon person uh, that could have been called, and yet God used him in a mighty way. We look at others. Uh, for example, uh, we see uh, James and John, the sons of thunder. Uh, they were fishermen, and, and certainly uh, they were mightily used of the Lord uh, despite the fact that uh, that was their craft and trade. Peter as well. And so we know that there are others that didn't have the formal training, but nevertheless, the Lord placed them in the ministry. And the fact is that at the very instant that you receive the Spirit of God, according to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, uh, that at that moment we were baptized by one Spirit into Jesus Christ. 
And when the Spirit of the living God came to take up residency in you, He endued you with spiritual gifts. And although you perhaps don't know what that gift is, if you've not studied out the Scriptures, just the same you have one. There are many of you that are listening tonight that have been a part of Freeway. And as I examine uh, your life and your uh, gifts uh, and abilities, I could pretty well tell you from the Word of God what I believe your spiritual gifts happen to be. And it's a great study if you have not done it. Uh, I would exhort you uh, to, to dig into the Word of God and discover just exactly what those are. But you know, many people hold on to the mistaken notion that the pastor is the minister. As though somehow we have the minister being singular minister within any church. The fact is, while the pastor is a minister, he is one of many who are called to minister. And the job of the pastor is to, according to Ephesians chapter 4, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so my job is to equip the saints. In other words, to teach and train you, to disciple you, to help you uh, utilize the gifts that God has given you and the training that you've received to maximize your potential for God in those areas of your gifting. And my friends, I believe every one of you have that, and my job is not to do all the work, but to help many people engage in that work that God has called them to do. And so, we recognize that the Lord gave pastors to churches as a gift, and that was not to do all the work, but to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And I think we have to dispel our minds of the whole notion that the pastor is the minister and realize that the pastor of the church is helping to train ministers to do the work of ministry. Now, I believe that we need to understand some things from the Word of God in order to really truly glorify Him through our ministry. I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible handy, to turn from, from, there I go, getting the gift tonight. <laughs> uh, to, taking, taking too many vitamins or something, I don't know what it is, but uh, anyhow, getting my mind is going faster than my tongue is right now, but um, that's okay, I'll get them all in sync right now. And I want to just encourage you to turn to First Peter chapter number 4, and there we're going to find a truth revealed that helps us to understand what it is that we're discussing tonight. And there in verse number 10, we read these words. As every man hath received the gift. Now let me pause right there. Okay, you might say, well, I'm not gifted. I don't, I don't have any special talents or abilities. Well, is the Word of God true? Here's what the Word of God says. As every man hath received the gift. Every one of you has received a ministry gift, whether you realize it or not. Okay, Even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Understand that God gifted you. He equipped you to do the work of the ministry. And the end of that all is that God may be glorified and through Jesus Christ, to whom praise and dominion forever and ever. And so, when we consider what is the aim of our ministry, what is it uh, supposed to be for? It is really what we read in the book of Matthew in chapter 5, where in verse 16 it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. That would be your ministry. And glorify your Father, which is in heaven. 
I believe that it is important for us to understand that ultimately that is the reason why we do the things that we do. It is that the Lord in all these things might receive glory. The Bible says, uh, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse uh, number 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we might ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. God's plan in every age that will never change, world without end, it's unchanging, is that we as a church body would give God the glory. You see, we're to do the things that we do so that He in all things might be glorified. So who are we doing this for? Are we doing it for ourselves? Are we doing it for the pastor? Are we doing it for an association or a denomination? Are we doing it for our school? Are we doing it for a religious leader? No, we're doing it for God and God alone, so that in all things He might have the preeminence and He might receive all the glory, even as we read in 1 Peter 4 tonight, that God in all things may be glorified through the ministry uh, that we provide. I want to just uh, say that um, the Bible gives us a keen insight into this in the book of Galatians chapter number 1. And as we consider in Galatians chapter 1, the Bible reveals this. In verse number 15, Paul is giving his testimony of conversion And there he says, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. Now, I just want to pause and say, though he did not go to a formal Bible college or university, uh, he had a crash course with Jesus face-to-face for three years in the Arabian desert, sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning all the things that he needed to know. And then the Bible says in verse 19, but if Other of the apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. Now, the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. You see, they didn't glorify Paul who was preaching to them. They glorified God in him. What did we say? Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, not glorify you, but glorify your Father which is in heaven. And the people that heard Paul as he ministered and preached to them did not glorify the preacher, but they glorified the God that was in him. That's the whole purpose of what I'm doing. You see, look, there are people that feel like, well, I'm getting better acquainted with the pastor. That's fine, but that's not the objective. You see, the objective, the aim of this pulpit ministry is that you through every moment of this preaching service, be drawn closer and into greater intimacy with God Himself. I'm going to tell you, God has challenged me down through the years as a pastor. And from the the earliest days that I began to preach when I was 11 years old in San Jose, California, and then uh, uh, preaching as a teenager in, in Korea, 
and uh, preaching youth meetings there with a, a written a message in Hangul as I stood there in front of those Korean young people and diligently sitting down with my Korean teacher and, and writing out a manuscript of a Korean sermon and, and preaching that. And, and all the way until I, I, I surrendered to God's call upon my life and at the age of 18 entered the vocational ministry and went to work for the First Baptist Church in Long Beach, California and, uh, in, in May of, of 1981. And uh, from that time until the present, going through a Bible college, I've listened to thousands of sermons. I've preached thousands of sermons right here. I've attended hundreds and hundreds of pastors' meetings. And I, I can tell you this, that there have been many times that I sat in a conference, and uh, I, I can remember many conferences that I attended down in the South. And there's some great preaching down there, and, and, and a lot of wonderful preachers. And uh, sometimes we'd sit down and we'd, we'd hear somebody read a text, and then uh, they'd tell us about their coon dogs, and they'd tell us about their hunting experiences, and they'd, they'd tell us about their hours of sitting in a deer blind, and, and they'd tell us about making deer jerky, and we, they'd tell us about uh, old Ethel in their church down in the holler, and, and, and we'd hear all about their upbringing, and their mama, and their pappy, and, and, and their being raised on the farm, and we'd hear about all these things, and when we came away, we felt so much closer to the preacher, but we were no closer to Jesus. And the fact of the matter is that when we minister, it's not so that others will look at us and say, my, what a wonderful person they are. My, isn't it great that they have chosen to teach a Sunday school class Aren't they really something else? God must be really fortunate to have them. And the church ought to thank their lucky stars, uh, which is a terrible uh, thing to say anyway. Uh, that, that person is a part of the church. You know, the reality is it's not all about us. It isn't so that we could be lifted up. It's not so that people could appreciate us. It's not so that we could even be acknowledged. But it is so that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, our Savior, and that in all things, Jesus Christ may be glorified in His church. That's the whole purpose of it, you see. And I believe that we need to commit ourselves to what God uh, has called us to do. And it doesn't matter. It may be in the humble task. And let me just submit this to you, my friends, tonight. And that is that there is no work in the ministry of God that is inconsequential or insignificant. Every task in the work of the Lord is important. Years ago, Brother Hilmer, who I mentioned earlier tonight, gave me a little uh, slip of paper. And on that little slip of paper, it said this, For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the rider was thrown. For want of a rider, the battle was lost, all for the want of a nail. Sometimes we think, you know, I'm insignificant. Well, you think about a nail, one little insignificant nail, and a thousand pound beast of burden. And how that, that horseshoe held in by that nail helps that beast of burden do what it is supposed to do. And how vitally important that is to holding a rider. And how vitally important the rider is to the cavalry in conflict. And how important it is to an army to be able to have that rider on that horse to effect a victory. And all because of the little nail... You know, I'm going to tell you something, that there are people that visit our church and they pass judgment on our ministry before they have ever heard me preach one single solitary time. They look at the grounds, they look at the, the parking lot to see if it's kept up, the lines are painted, if there are weeds grown up. They want to look at the building and see if, if the paint is cracked and peeling. They, they, they want to look around at the signage and make sure that it's clear and, and accurate. They want to 
come in and they want to look at the cleanliness of the building and of the restrooms and especially the ladies' restroom and the cleanliness of the nursery. And sometimes people think, well, I'm just cleaning the nursery. Well, listen, if you're a young new mother that comes to church for the first time with a newborn baby and you don't see a well-kept and sanitized nursery, chances are you're not going to stay for the service. Now, if that young mother does not know the Lord as Savior, and she elected that day to give church one shot at it, and she walks out the door never to return, how important was it to have somebody clean the nursery? You see, uh, that little task, we think, had eternal implications. How about an usher that thinks I'm just serving at an usher's post and it's not all that important and if I show up, I show up. If I don't, I don't. No big deal in the grand scheme of things. But you know, what if there's someone who's got a little child being disruptive in a service and and an usher can help uh, show that mother to a quieter place maybe to have a seat in the foyer or maybe to take that child in the nursery to remove the distraction so that the person seated in front of that uh, young couple with the crying baby who's lost in their and undone on their way to a devil's hell might hear the gospel Uh, listen how important that day is it to have an usher I'm simply saying there's no task in the economy of God that is inconsequential or insignificant. And the Lord demonstrated that in John chapter 13 when the Bible tells us that He girded Himself with a towel and He took a basin of water and He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe those feet with that towel. And He did this as an example unto them. And to show them that this is what the essence of ministry was. Humbling ourselves before God to minister to the needs of others. So that God in all things might be glorified through Jesus Christ. Who are you doing it for? Are you doing it for yourself? I'm just going to tell you according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. One day the works of the believer will be judged. And those things that we have done... For the glory of God out of a heart of love will come forth as gold and silver and precious stone. But those things that we have done selfishly, those things that we have done so that others will acknowledge and affirm us, they'll validate and appreciate us, those things will be consumed like wood, hand stubble. They're not going to endure. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, who am I doing this for? And really it points to the aim of our ministry and that is that the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified through His church. Now, I'm just going to ask you, I wonder what kind of ministry the Lord calls us to. Well, there are many answers perhaps that we could give uh, to that. And I think that tonight it would be important for us to consider one family that was commended to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we find in verse 12, the Bible says, As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren. But his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he shall have convenient time. Now, I'm just going to say something to you. I don't think this is a, a negative reflection upon uh, the, uh, the great teacher, Apollos, who is a teacher of the Word. But I think it highlights something for us in today's culture, and that is that we must purpose to do ministry even when at times it may not be com- convenient to do it. I often say that we're living in a day where that Christians are not only unwilling to sacrifice for Jesus' sake, we are unwilling to be inconvenienced for Jesus' sake. I cannot tell you how many times we have had a major undertaking at the church and we are calling for all hands to be on deck and everybody, it was a call to general quarters, everybody, it's time when kings go to battle, we're expecting everybody to be there. And we hear, well, we have a birthday party, Pastor, we can't be there. We're, you know, and, and you know, and it's, you know, my my nephew's turning 
three or, or you know, and we're the whole family's getting together at the park. You know, folks, I got to tell you something. It seems to me like we've got to come to the place where at times we're willing to be inconvenienced for the cause of Jesus Christ. Because candidly, I would tell you, if you're not willing to be inconvenienced for Jesus, neither will you be willing to sacrifice for him. Apollos said, I'll come when, when I shall have a convenient time. When, when it's a better time for me, I'll, I'll go and, and I'll be there with you and I'll do ministry. But look, there's no great time. I, listen, I've talked to people that have said, well, I'm going to get married when I can afford to get married. You know, I'm going to tell you something. If you wait till you can afford to do it, you're probably never going to do it. And if you do do it, you're, you're probably already uh, old and gray by that time. I talk to people who say, well, we're going to have kids when we can afford to have kids. If you wait till you can afford to have kids to have kids, you'll never have kids. The fact of the matter is they cost money. You know what you do? You just have kids and you trust God to provide. I'm not saying be stupid and, and irresponsible to be a poor steward of the resources God's given you. And, and I'm not saying be haphazard, but what I am saying is, uh, look, you've got to just sometimes determine, listen, this is going to bring more joy and happiness into our life. And if God ordains to bless our family with children, then he's going to provide for the needs of those kids. He's not going to let them starve to death and neither are we. And so we're just going to have kids and we're going to trust the Lord day by day and pray, give us this day our daily bread. And you know what? If you get ready to serve the Lord when it's convenient, you'll never do it. Because more often than not, you'll find it to be inconvenient to do it. I often say this, I said it on Sunday, that none of the people that came into the house of the Lord on Sunday were just driving by the church on their way to the Krispy Kreme and thought, hey, let's stop in here for a minute. Listen, the reality was this. There were many people that were here on Sunday that drove many miles, some as much as an hour away, that, that joined us in worship. There were people that were here on vacation that came from Michigan. And you know what, listen... There was nobody checking up on them. They didn't have to be here. But you know what? It was vacation for them. And they were not checking out of being a Christian in their time away from their home church and their home folks and their home. Listen, they said, look, we're in all things going to honor God. And so it may not have been convenient for them. But they said, listen, we're going to be in the house of the Lord. And I'm grateful to the Lord that they did. There were others that drove great distance. I know Brother Kurt was here and he came from uh, Tempe. And there were others that came from Surprise and others that came from uh, further away places like Buckeye. And the reality is this, my friends, that ministry is not something that we do because it just happens to be on the way to go do something. It's a convenience for me. No, it's something that we must commit ourselves to do. And the Bible says in verse 13, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Now Paul is saying, look, you need to stand fast in the faith. That's what you believe. That's our body of doctrine. Uh, don't give it away. And to quit you like men, it means to act like a man. Uh, there's another verse. I shared it with Brother uh, uh, Daniel. He already knew it. I said, you know, and I found in the Bible where, where God said, put your big boy panties on, you know. And uh, in the book of Job, chapter 38 and verse number 2, God, God told him, you know, as a man, gird up your loins, he said. And the fact is that here, God is saying that again. That we need to uh, quit like men. In other words, we need to behave ourselves like grown-up people and be strong in the Lord. And while we are strong in the Lord, we need to understand that the Bible follows that up with this. Let all your things be done with charity. Let all your things be done with charity. I know many people that take the right stand. They stand fast in the faith. And they quit like men. But you know what? They're really weak on letting all their things be being done with charity. Can I tell you something? This whole world does not care how much you know until it knows how much you care. The fact is today that there are people that have elected to go to churches that have not stood by the faith because people there are letting their things be done with charity. Would to God we would keep the whole council and stand fast in the faith and grow up in the Lord and let all our things be done with charity. And then the Bible says, I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that ye submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. So here we discover that Paul is commending the house of Stephanus, the 
the first fruits of Achaia. They were among the earliest converts in Asia Minor. And Paul, according to his testimony in this book, uh, baptized the house of Stephanus. They were among the earliest converts there uh, when God, God called uh, Paul into Asia Minor. And what we find about them is something really peculiar. And that is this, that the apostles said of them that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They had addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And I, I believe that these were grateful for the salvation that was theirs in Christ. And we read of them coming to faith in Christ in chapter 1. And they were following, following the example of the man that had brought them to the Lord Jesus Christ who said, follow me even as I follow Christ. And as leaders, they had addicted themselves. And I, I want you to know that Paul said that they were to submit themselves unto such. In other words, who are going to be the leaders in ministry? It is going to be those people who say, my whole life consists of Jesus. And listen, if you take that away from me, you've taken the very essence of my life. My life is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure that there are many of you that are watching this broadcast tonight that have known someone who has suffered with an addiction. And you know what? That thing, that substance that they felt that they had to have became the focus of their life, did it not? Did they not think, I've got to have this? And they, they, they snuck to have it, they stole to have it, they, they lied to have it, they had to have it, and they didn't want to go on without it. I remember um, pastoring in California, and I had a friend named Neil, and, and Neil uh, was just a jolly old guy. He, he drove a Sunday school bus for us, and he was a, he, he, he was a recovered alcoholic. God saved him, and... Uh, after several years of driving the bus, there was a time where he called in and said, I can't make it, Pastor. I can't. I've got some things going on. I can't make it. And then a few weeks consecutive, and finally there was a month that went by, and we tried to get a hold of him, couldn't reach him. And I remember one Sunday morning, I went down to the church, as I always did at six in the morning, and as they were starting up the buses and pulling them out, and and we had a, a 13 routes, and, and uh, all of the buses were getting lined up, and, and, and Neil's wife came, and she was crying. And she said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. She said, Neil started drinking again a few months back, and uh, he, he couldn't get over it. He just couldn't seem to overcome it, and he lost his job. They sent him home, and... He felt so despondent and so terrible about it. He didn't know how to talk to anybody down at the church. He was embarrassed. And so he just drank himself into a stupor. And she said, last night, Neil took a gun and, and killed himself, Pastor. Well, we cried together. My heart was broken. And I thought, you know, what would, what would lead a person to that? Here, here's a man that sacrificed a career that paid him a wonderful salary that he had been on for 30 years in the aerospace industry. He put it all at risk. He lost it all to have another drink. What was it that caused him to really put his marriage at risk, his, his ministry at risk? It was... That feeling that I have to have that. I, I need this. I've got to have it. The fact of the matter is, you know, I believe that when you love God, you have within you desire to please Him. And you just feel like, I, I've, I've got to do something to serve the Lord. And if I can't do something to serve the Lord, I'm, I, I'm the essence of why He created me is not being allowed to shine and be fulfilled in my life, and I've just, I've got to do it. I, I, I've got to find some place where I can serve the Lord. And, and my friends, 
Serving the Lord doesn't mean you have to have a title. It doesn't mean you have to have an official position. It's just saying, look, put me in the game. If it's sweeping the parking lot, if it's mopping the floors, if it's teaching Sunday school, if it's working in the nursery, if it's going to the mission field, if it's singing in the choir, if it's leading the singing, if it's doing clerical work, if it's being a Sunday school secretary, I don't know what it is, but it doesn't matter. But just let me... Get in the game and demonstrate my love to the Lord by giving my life. The essence of who I am is now a child of God. I have His divine nature and He was a minister and now He's called me to minister and I want to give the kind of ministry that would lead others to say, you know what, that person just feels like they have to serve the Lord all the time. That person is always serving God. (laughs) You know, listen, I remember, and I like telling this story, I went to, went to camp a few years ago with our kids, and, uh, and I was uh, preaching to the young kids, and after the preaching service was over, they were getting ready for game time, and a little girl, about, oh, maybe six or seven years old, uh, was there, I, I think maybe she was seven or eight, really, and uh, a little strawberry blonde girl was standing there, and she's just looking up at me, and, and she said, you know what? I said, what's that? She said, you just always talk about Jesus. <laughs> and I said, thank you, sweetie. I'm glad that you noticed that. And, you know, I wonder if anybody ever comes up to us and says, you know what? You're just always talking about Jesus. Folks, I want to have that kind of ministry. I want to be the one that the Lord says, I want you to submit yourself unto that. Look, sometimes churches want to have somebody that has a degree or they hold a title in business and we think they're so smart and so we want to put them in charge of something. You know who God wants to put in charge? People that are getting her done for Jesus' sake in the name of Jesus. Those that are committed, yea, addicted to the service of of others that don't have to have a title to do it that say Lord just put me in the game give me a broom give me a handful of tracks let me change a diaper let me uh, uh, you know rearrange the songbooks let me sanitize the building let me vacuum the fellowship hall let me do something Lord I just want to serve you that's the kind of ministry that he calls us to and the house of Stephanas had addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints and how did they do it they did it as mature individuals, they stood face, fast in the faith and they did their things with charity. And I want you to understand that as we consider those people that served like that, I want you to look with me in this same portion, but look back to chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians. It says there in verse number 58, Therefore, My beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. How much are we to serve? How often are we to do it? Here's what the Bible says, always abounding. You know what that word abound means? It means that, look, I do everything I can and I do a little bit more. There's going to be an abundance. It's the veritable cornucopia, as it were, that just flows out with an abundance. There's plenty enough to go around. It's always going to be enough. We're commanded not just to parse it out one hour a week, just to go to a teacher's meeting and teach that one hour. And, and I was talking to somebody the other day and uh, talking about the need for Sunday school workers. And you know what I said? I'm not interested in people that just want to teach a class. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in people that want to lead a class. I'm interested in people that want to pray for a class. I'm interested in those that will minister to a class and not just one hour a week. And They'll do it with an abundance of love to honor and glorify the Lord. I know many people that they, they want to build a ministry and they want it to be all about them. And they want it to be on their time and their terms. And the fact is they want everybody to come to them, flock to them. They've got a Messiah complex. 
Call me. Talk to me. Look, folks, I, I, I don't pretend to have all the answers. I have a book that contains them. If I don't know what the answer is, I'll dig into the book and I'll help you to locate it. I, I'm not the, the, the brightest bulb in the package, but the fact of the matter is, I love the Lord. He put me here to be a pastor, and I don't want to just show up on Sunday. You know, there are a lot of people that have the idea that the pastor only works on Sunday. <laughs> you know, and uh, boy, that would be nice if it was true, but it's not. You know, uh, every once in a while, people got to have this misconception that, that pastoring is like some kind of a cush job. I, I, I remember years ago having people come up and, and jokingly tell me, you know, pastor, I think I've been called to preach. And I'd say, well, how do you know that you've been called to preach? And they say, well, you know, this morning when I woke up, I had the overwhelming urge to sleep in. And then I just had this strong hankering for fried chicken. And, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is that those are not the qualifications for pastor. And that's not the evidence of a call. Folks, listen, the work of the Lord is just that it's work. And God calls us to it. And he wants us to give unto him with an abundance and understand that the Lord will give us all that we need, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. I'll promise you this, you might have a house, and that house is going to melt with a fervent heat. You might have a car, that car is going to melt with a fervent heat one day. You might have a job, and that job is going to go away. We're going to move into a socialistic society in short order, and, and so everybody's going to have the same earnings and live in the same standard and have the same type of Medicare for all. And, and it doesn't matter that you worked hard all your life and saved up. Uh, they're going to uh, you know, disperse the resources among everybody. Let's open the borders and let everybody come in. And, you know, look... All I'm simply saying is everything that we put stock in, we think, boy, that's going to last. You know, it's not. One day you're going to look around and it's going to be gone. But those things that you have done for, for God, those things that you have done in love for God, they will never pass away. It will never have been in vain. It will not have been an exercise in vanity. Those things done for the flesh, those things done... Uh, for the favor of men, uh, they'll burn like wood hand stubble. But those things done for Christ will come forth as gold, as silver, and as precious gold. So I'm going to ask you a question. You realize God's called you? He's placed you in the ministry? I wonder, have you responded to the call? Or are you just sitting on the pine because we're having a pandemic? That doesn't mean there's nothing to do. Maybe we need someone to hand out masks. Maybe we need people to help sanitize. Maybe we need others to get on the telephone. You know, the last time I checked, um, you can't get COVID over the phone. If you can get COVID over the phone, I would have it. I spent about six hours with a telephone stuck in my ear today. And, it, you know, look, we're just... Desperate times call for desperate measures. We're doing what we have to do to stay connected to people. The fact remains, folks, that God has called us all to serve Him. And I'm simply standing up here saying, let's do it together until Jesus comes. Let's not just parse it out, give a little prayer and a promise and say, I'll come back next week for an hour. No, let's serve Him with our lives every day. And let's do it as though it were the very focus and essence of our life. We couldn't live without being able to serve our God. And what's more, we wouldn't want to. And so I pray that you will understand that you are called of the Lord just as He called you unto Himself and saved you. And He calls you and equips you. And faithful is He that calleth you, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 24, who also will do it. You see, God isn't going to give you a work to do and then not give you the means to do it. Not give you the gifting to do it. And so, my friend, let's trust Him and let's do exactly what He calls us to do until He comes again. Lord God, thank You tonight for Your Word. Thank You for these dear folks that have gathered in spirit and in heart and have gathered around a television screen, a computer screen, a telephone, a tablet, whatever it happens to be. And Lord, I pray that we might all understand that you want us to be involved in this great work. Lord, may we do it in your way. Lord, I thank you for the many who have stood as 
just sterling examples of Christian servanthood down through the years at Freeway Baptist Church. Bless them, I pray. And Lord, I pray that as we continue through a time of a global pandemic and really a spiritual drift in our country, that we would watch and stand fast in the faith. May we quit like men. May we be strong and May we determine to let all our things be done with charity. God, help us to serve you with a fervency, we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. And I just want to pause for a moment and say, if you've been watching uh, this broadcast, and in your heart of hearts, you do not even know that if you died tonight, that you'd go to heaven to be with the Lord. I want to tell you just exactly how you can know that your sins are forgiven, and that heaven is your home. You see, there's some great news that God wants you to know, and that is that He loves you and wants to spend forever in heaven with you. But there's something standing in the way of that, and what it is is something called sin, your sin and mine. And we all have the problem, for the Bible says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Nobody's perfect. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners and we miss the mark of God's perfection. And the fact is that that reveals to us God's standard for heaven. It's perfection. And you say, well, I can't be perfect. I'm glad you recognize that fact. We all fall short of that. God didn't say do the best you can and hope that I'll let you in. He said, there's a standard, the glory of God that everyone is falling short of. That's the standard, the holiness, the perfection of our God. You say, well, I'll, I'll start doing better. Well, even if you begin now, you have a past of sin that you cannot erase. And what's more, the Bible tells us that we are sinners, not simply because we do something wrong, but because that's what we are. We're born sinners. The Bible says, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. That man who sinned was named Adam. He had a wife named Eve. And they sinned against God many years ago in the garden. And God said that everyone that is born out from your lineage will be born with sin in their life. So, my friends, we don't have to teach children how to sin. They're born with the knowledge of how to do it because we are born as sinners. That's a problem because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Wages are something we deserve. That's what we've earned. And the Bible says what we've earned because of our sinful condition is death. And death is simply this, separation. James 2 says that the body without the spirit is dead. So when that separation physically occurs, then death happens. But there's a second death spoken of in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14. It says that death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So the second death is also a separation, but it is a spiritual separation from God who is in heaven, and it is being sent to hell, a place of suffering for sin. And that's what I deserve outside of Jesus. That's what we all deserve outside of Jesus. But the good news is this, but God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus took the punishment for our sin in His own body on the cross of Calvary. And with His shed blood, He offers you forgiveness of all sin so that it can be wiped away by the very blood of Jesus Christ and heaven may be yours for all of eternity. And the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God wants to give you that eternal life through the forgiveness of sins as a free gift. It's the gift of God. It's not what you earn. It's not what you merit or deserve. It is what God wants to give you. And the Bible over and over again in Romans chapter 5 calls it a gift, 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 gift. And three times in three verses it says it's a free gift, a free gift, a free gift. You don't have to join the church, take communion, get baptized. Walk little old ladies across the street, keep the Ten Commandments in order to get it, because if you did, it wouldn't be a gift anymore. It would be something that you earned. 
But Jesus paid the price with his blood on the cross of Calvary. And he now offers it to you as a gift if you will believe him and you will receive it. And the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from the perils of hell, delivered to the joys of heaven through the forgiveness of sins purchased with blood. My friend, if you believe that that's what Jesus did for you, and that forgiveness in heaven is what he offers to you as a free gift, then he has said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that means anybody that asks God in prayer for that salvation, he will give it to them. If you've never yet done that, I'm going to invite you to pray and ask the Lord to save you tonight. Now, I'm going to lead in a prayer, and my prayer will not save you, but if the words of this prayer reflect the desire of your heart, make it your own prayer to God, and He will hear, and He will answer, and you will be saved. As I pray this prayer right now, I invite you to pray it together with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I realize tonight that I cannot save myself. And so I now invite Jesus into my heart and into my life to forgive me of all of my sin and to save me so that I may be forgiven and spend forever in heaven with God. I believe that Jesus died for me and that He was buried and that He rose again so that I might have everlasting life. I'm now trusting in Jesus and Jesus only to be my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Enable me to live for thee. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, tonight if you pray that prayer with a believing heart and sincerity on the authority of God's Word, you're forgiven and you are saved. Heaven is yours. And if you prayed that prayer, we want you to give us a call at the office or send us an email, write us a note, whatever is easier for you. Tell us about your decision. We want to give you a Bible that you can have for your very own. We want to send you some materials that you can read that will tell you all that is yours in Jesus Christ and how you can begin uh, to live according to how the Lord would have us live now that we're His children. And so we'd love to hear from you. I hope that you'll reach out to us.